Hello, and welcome to the Aseret Podcast, where we learn about character, kindness, wisdom, and values from living examples of inspiring people. The first of the Ten Commandments, the Aseret Hadib wrote, reads, Anochi Hashem Elokecha, Asher Hotzei Sicha, Meretz Mitzrayim, Mibes Avadim. I am Hashem, your God, who took you out of the land of Egypt, of all ways to introduce himself to the Jewish people. Hashem chooses to identify himself as the one who brings people out of their suffering. Our guest today has much to teach us about this. In this pilot episode, I speak with Rabbi Mordechai Machlis, who alongside his wife, Rebetzin Henny Machlis of Blessed Memory, started Jerusalem Chesed. As per their website, since 1979, the Machlis family has been hosting spiritually uplifting and extremely meaningful Shabbat and holiday meals in the holy city of Yerushalayim, Jerusalem. The approximately 200 guests each Shabbat include tourists and travelers, Israeli residents and new immigrants, university, yeshiva, and seminary students, the intellectually and theologically curious, the homeless, destitute, poor, and lonely, and all who seek a Shabbat or holiday experience for either spiritual or physical reasons. In addition to their service on Shabbat and Chagim, the Machlis family provides personalized caring and assistance for the many who seek financial, psychological, and spiritual help throughout the week. If you are in Jerusalem, it is a must visit. You are all personally invited, as Rabbi Machlis tells us in this episode. Of Machlis and Rebetzin Henny are world-class models of chesed, loving-kindness, and the mitzvah of hachnasat orchim, hospitality. During this interview, you will learn from Rav Machlis about this vital work, its relation to the first diber, the first commandment of the ten, and how we can, in some small way, increase our chesed and involvement with hachnasat orchim, his wife, Rebetzin Henny, is deeply missed and was a truly special soul. To learn more about her life, see link in the show notes. I hope this episode is as meaningful and moving as it was for Rav Shalom and I. Thanks so much for listening. To get involved and to make a donation, please see the website in the show notes. And also, please forgive the at times poor and uneven sound quality and banging sounds. I was traveling without my regular equipment, and we did our best while recording in his home. We are here live in Ma'alot Dafna, in a very special place called the Machlis home. And I am joined here with Rav Machlis, as you are well known for, the name of Machlis and Rav Shalom Schwartz. And we are going to have a hopefully really good and meaningful discussion and interview about some of the work that Rav Machlis is involved in. So First and foremost, Rav Machlis, thank you so much for taking the time to, to speak with me today. Thank you for making the mistake of thinking that I'm, I'm worthy of speaking with you. It's, it's, an honor to, it's an honor to be with you. Okay. So the first thing I just want to ask you, it's less of a question, just to introduce yourself, um, anything that you want to mention about what you do and how you spend your time. I'm a simple Jew living in uh, the holy city. My name is Mordechai and... Uh, I try, uh, as I think everyone does, to serve God in the best, to the best of my ability. I try to lead a productive, meaningful, spiritual life in the holiest of cities. If possible, could you let us know what a day in the life might look like for you? There's a yeshiva in Beit Shemesh that's kind enough to allow me to pretend to teach there. And I, I go through the motions of sharing you know, ideas with Yeshiva Leva Torah, one of the outstanding religious institutions. I try to do that a little bit. 
I tried to uh, give classes here in Yerushalayim, in the Israel Center house. And uh, Baruch Hashem, I have a blessed family, thank God, I try to interact with them. And thank God there are many people in Yerushalayim from all, all parts of the world. And God affords me the opportunity of being with many of them on many occasions. So a lot of teaching and... and Studying. Not there yet. You know, someday I hope to become a teacher. So studying yourself, learning, and perhaps sharing would, would be okay. So what comes to mind for you when you hear the first Diber? Anochi Hashem Elokecha, Asher Me'eretz Mitzrayim, Mibes Avadim. Besides its uh, historical context, speaking, God addressing the Jews that left Egypt, uh, the well-known question raised by the earliest of authorities seems to be something much more uh, significant and all-encompassing than Exodus, uh, the creation of the cosmos, the creation of the world. And this is discussed in the traditional commentaries. Uh, maybe for a personalized experience is greater than just philosophical statement of the of the first cause of creation, but I take it as commandment, not only to believe in God, but to believe in God that takes people out of Egypt. And therefore, one of the ways of reading the first commandment is we are supposed to take everybody out of Egypt. Everybody has their own Mitzrayim, uh, and each person with his or her qualifications, and energies, and skills should take people out of Egypt, take people out of Mitzrayim. Mitzar means distress, means restriction. And ayim uh, in, in Hebrew, I think, means the suffix indicating two, like yadayim, like raglayim, like oznayim. So maybe mitzrayim, two kinds of mitzar, physical distress, spiritual distress. We have to take everybody out of mitzrayim. That's how I read it. So of all things that God can associate himself with in history, He's chosen Yetziat Mitzrayim as the paradigm. And the way you understand it and see it is that it's a divine imperative to help each person on their own level, to help others get out of Mitzrayim. The Machlis home has been blessed to, with, with God's help, uh, bring many people in for, for Shabbos meals uh, for, 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 for several decades at this point now. How do you see the mitzvah of Hachnasat Orchim fitting in with the Diber Avanuki Hashem Elokecha? I think all of them, I mean, if, if the commandment of, if the first commandment of the Ten Commandments has something to do with believing in God, um, uh, the model for, for hospitality is God. <laughs> this whole world is a hospitality center. That's, that's what it's about. I mean, uh, in other words, uh, believe in God. But what do you know about God? Well, God takes them out of Egypt and provides for them and feeds them and clothes them and cares for them. And uh, maybe if anyone is trying to pursue uh, any form of hospitality, the model should be the world, the world, the hospitality center. Uh, let's say seven and a half billion guests at the moment or something like that, and besides all the animal world and all the other, and the vegetable world, a wonderful hospitality center. So I know Hiyashem So believe in God and learn from God what you're supposed to do. and. I think the exodus from Egypt is all the provisions that were made, the sensitivity of the uh, opportunities afforded the people leaving Egypt should be a model for each of us.
in our hospitality pursuits. So the creation of this world on some level is Haknasat Orchim, is, is hospitality. So God has a home, and the home in this world is planet Earth. Is, is planet Earth. And one time was Gan Eden, and, and, and God invited. As the population grew, I mean, maybe, <laughs> you know, it expanded a little bit. So, yeah, right. So it's a nice size, nice size hospitality center there. Right. Planet Earth. Now we have uh, other planet, maybe different, so maybe Achmasarachim will expand. Right. But it seems like that 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 precedes every precedes everything else that that might happen is is God making a home for for us to be here. We would we wouldn't we wouldn't if it wasn't a place for us to be. We wouldn't be here. By the way, that's not my own idea. It's founded in the source. There's, there's one reading of of one section of the Book of Proverbs, which speaks about how wisdom calls out and invites everyone to join, and which is understood as a model of God inviting people in to the world. And the first commandment about trying to have children probably means, could you please help me with my hospitality center? I'd like to, I'd like to expand it. You know, so, so try to have children. We'll have more. We'll have more uh, guests in God's in God's hospitality center. I guess when two people come together to make a, a life together, they're bringing, with of course the the divine shefa. They're bringing, they're they are just by having children and bringing children. They're doing hachnasat orachim. The story that's studied most, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's chapter 18 of Genesis, the story of uh, our great father and great mother, Abraham and Sarah, Abraham and Sarah, is a story about how immediately after the Torah teaches us about hospitality, God informs them through, through this messenger that they're going to be blessed with a baby. And the Midrashic literature points out that one of the ways to course, it's only, it's only up to a blessing of God, and there are many, many great people in the world who are trying deliberately and, and with all of their, uh, all of their uh, resources and all of their energies and all of their prayers to bring children. May they all be blessed today, and may there be breakthroughs in all forms of fertility. But according to one Midrashic source, hospitality is connected to, to the message there in that story where the angel's telling uh, Abraham and Sarah, you're gonna have a you're gonna have a baby. Oh, in other words, you like guests in your house? He invited in these three guests. I'm gonna give you another guest. A year from now, you're gonna have a baby. So maybe there was there was such a rabbinic teaching. So biologically, one of the main drives of, of human beings, even on a non-religious level, is to is to perpetuate and to bring more life into the world. And maybe the story is teaching us that the the inner perspective on that and the most important reason for that is is to in, embody or imbue a certain quality of hachnasat or him that it's not just that we want to bring people into the world for its own sake but because there's something special something important something divine something holy about how how doing that pr- creates it's not just bringing more people into the world but it's bringing more people in a certain kind of way especially Abraham and Sarah surely had a message it wasn't merely uh, trying to have a child it was like uh, I know this man, says God, because he will instruct the children and his household after him to follow the ways of God, to follow righteousness and piety and justice. That's, that's, that's the message. And uh, one of the greatest ways to carry that out is through a family that, that lives that way. And if God chose Avraham Avinu, 
and one of the explicit reasons is that he's going to bring this kind of awareness of of, of tzedek. What were the actual words in in the pasuk? He said, "I spoke too much Hebrew already. We already go over it again." Yeah. Lasot stakau mishpat. Stakau mishpat. So God God chose Abram for the kind of life he was going to live, and that would imply that he would have children. And what preceded having children for Abram Avinu was Hachnasat Orchim. So in some way, Hachnasat Orchim is is intimately bound up with the tzedek and mishpat imperative for Abraham. That's what the Jewish family is about. The essence of a Jewish family. We're sitting here, thank God, in Eretz Yisrael and Yerushalayim. I always view Eretz Yisrael and Yerushalayim not as a real estate issue. Uh, the Jews need some place to live, so uh, let's give them the land. I believe that they were supposed to try to set up a model society based on certain values to teach the world. Eretz Yisrael is supposed to be the shining light. Yerushalayim is supposed to be everyone that comes to Yerushalayim should learn from the model of Yerushalayim. That's what. That's why we need Yerushalayim. That's why we need Eretz Yisrael. Taking this a little bit away from course, the imperative to have children and to create more life. We have, from a more mitzvah standpoint, to, to bring in people into our homes and in a certain kind of way. I'm wondering if you could share with us just a little bit of, of how that has played out for you in your life um, uh, and how you do that. The main person responsible for that, besides, of course, the blessing of God, is my uh, beloved wife, Henny, blessed memory. Um, she unfortunately left this world about seven years ago. Uh, I, I think that the positive accomplishments, if there are positive accomplishments, are surely more connected to her than to me. Uh, you can't you can't interview her, but I can speak something about her. When we were going out before we got married, when we were still in America, we had this joint vision dream of moving to Yerushalayim and maybe opening up our home to the best of our ability to anyone that's interested. Enjoy, and that goes on has gone on from the moment that you decided that until and and through today. I mean, that's, that's an exaggeration on the moment. I'm sure that uh, you know uh, maybe a few weeks, yeah, a few weeks, maybe a few, a few months, a few months. years, a few decades. I mean, you know, but uh, we we try we tried. I mean, it didn't start on this level. It started. It grew over the years. Baruch Hashem. Uh, we have a rabbinic teaching that. In the way that a person is interested in going, that's the way that God leads them. So God has blessed us. I mean, I'm sure there are tens of thousands of people who would love to love to do this. It's a special, special blessing. And especially since we live in Yerushalayim, Jerusalem being the center of the world, God has afforded us the opportunity to, to greet people from many, many different parts of, of the world here in Yerushalayim. Is there something that drew, if there's something that you could tell us a little bit about for the Rebbitzin, what impelled her to to want to do that? There's a lot of different mitzvot. There's a lot of different ways to to do good work, work in this world. Is there anything in particular that you remember um, that really inspired her to want to do that? We are both uh, blessed <clears throat> to come from families where this was a great value. Uh, my father, of blessed memory, was a rabbi. Henny's father, of blessed memory, was a rabbi. We grew up in homes where there was this value to it and we just tried on some level to take it to the next to the next level um i would think that many many people in the world uh, have have a model of their grandparents and uh, many try to live the kind of life that they feel their grandparents would like them to live so our grandparents abraham and sarah they're they're a model you know if it was saba and safta abraham and sarah so as their grandchildren We'd like on some small level to to continue what they try to teach the world. 
And what comes for, to mind for me when you say that is that there is a type of teaching, Torah, and a type of living when it comes to that, where it's instruction. It says, do this thing, don't do that thing. And then there's a modeling that happens where it's not a particular command. God never said to Avraham, have guests. God never explicitly told them that there's a, a, a mitzvah at that point to, to do something. But they saw, for whatever reason, they had that inspiration to, to do that in a, in a sort of by example way. And when we are reading that those stories and when we're seeing models of that, and you mentioned both the, the meta model of Avraham and Sarah being a, a guide for Hachnasat Dorchim, and then on a personal level, influences in your life for that. It's not necessarily that anyone ever said to you or to the Rebetzin, this is what you should do. This is what's right to do. It was a living model or a living story or a living sample of it. I think the reading of the book of Bereshit, there are very, very few formal commandments in, in Bereshit. Very few. It can be counted maybe in one hand, most on two hands. And the way the, the book is, is, is uh, arranged is we are supposed to learn from the stories or the activities of the of the main characters there, of course, from God and from the great fathers and mothers, uh, the best, as you mentioned, the best way to teach something is by example. And we're learning this not as a historical story, once upon a time, this or this happened, but as a living Torah and a living model. Uh, there is a there is a teaching in, in Kabbalah, I'm not a Kabbalist, and maybe it's arrogant to, to quote it, but I think there's a teaching in Kabbalah that each person in his or her inner soul feels a drive to a certain area of, of, of fulfillment of commandment. And a person is supposed to go with, with that flow. There are great people uh, sitting in the room here, one of the great rabbis sitting next to you. Many, everybody knows about the Ten Commandments, right? So why is it that uh, Rabbi Schwartz is going teaching Let's say the whole world about the Ten Commandments. What, 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 what about everything else? The hundreds of commandments, thousands of commandments. I guess each person tries to find their area of, of uh, specification. Well, and, he's trying to find ten areas. Right? Yeah, yeah, but okay, ten that are one and one that are ten. You know, so right. right. The, the, uh, um, I, I think it has something to do with that also, and and especially it's one of our ways of uh, of, of understanding Yerushalayim. It's not merely, you know, we we uh, we we want to open our home. If God forbid, we we would have lived in outside of Israel. So I, you know, maybe we'd also try to open our home. But Yerushalayim, the, the idea of Jerusalem, the idea of the ingathering of the exiles, the Jewish exiles from all over the world, the idea of uh, the prophet Isaiah, Micah speaking about in the end of days, there all the nations will stream and flow to to Yerushalayim. I'd like to be at least a tiny, small part of, of something. On airplanes. As we were talking about earlier. <laughs> something like that, yeah. Something like that. From Hachnasat are there a couple of things that it can teach us about chesed that aren't necessarily related to Hachnasat but are something that when we do Hachnasat we can take to other areas of chesed? Maybe respecting all Jews, respecting all non-Jews, respecting the singularity of each individual. Um, the Mishnah teaches in Masechet Sanhedrin, in Tractate Sanhedrin, the, one of the earliest rabbinic uh, sources, is about how, according to our, our tradition, one man and one woman were created at the beginning of creation, and from them stem everyone else. Not necessarily so in the other worlds of creation, animal worlds, where when God said, let there be animal, 
It wasn't like there was one male animal, one female animal, according to at least one reading tradition. To teach you, says the Mishnah, that one person is an entire world. Not only was it an entire world then, forever, each person is an entire world. There's no, there are no two people that are alike. There are no clones in the world. Each person has a unique being. And I think that when one is privileged to meet the people who come through the door, people that spend Shabbat with us or during the week, uh, visiting with us or talking with us, we understand that this is the only person like that in the whole world. And maybe to view each person as like, there is nobody else. This is not just, okay, you know, if, if, I, uh, if, if it's not him, so it'll be him. If it's not her, it'll be her. No, it's, it's, it's very, very special. I think, uh, I don't say that I do this, but I actually want to do this. I think to respect each person, to honor each person, to hold each person in great esteem, I think it's a very, very basic principle of Achmazat Rachim. I think it's a very great principle of uh, interpersonal uh, activities as dictated by Torah teachings. And it does remind me that, as we were discussing in Bereshit, there's not always an imperative or a command, just the very idea that, that Hashem created Adam and Chava, that God created Adam and Eve, and it was explicit that it's everybody comes from, and we have lineages, and there's so many lineage stories that come through in Bereshit to maybe teach us and remind us on the implicit level that we are one family. And perhaps that's another area that Hachnasat Dorchim can help uh, remind us of because we're bringing people in. We have so many numbers, billions of people, and when we bring people into our house, we can, first of all, have a, see them, uh, the home always kind of rep represents family in some way. And we're bringing people into the family to, to represent the maybe greater truth that that we're all from Adam and Chava, and we're all from, as, Jew, as Jews, from Avram and Sarah. I have two, two comments. Number one, since uh, the two of you are the greatest experts in the world on the Ten Commandments, uh, Hashem should bless you. Uh, Rabbi Schwartz is sitting here, and he's not saying anything. It's like God, you know. There's a teaching in the rabbinic literature. This is technical. This is Hebrew. So the, the people don't understand Hebrew. You won't understand what I, I can translate, but it won't make any sense here. That God is sometimes so silent. You can't hear this. So I, I appreciate the fact that you're sitting. Um, but let's let's give an example from, from your uh, pursuits of, of the Ten Commandments. Commandment number one, which is according to many opinions, as you know, more than I do because I, I studied uh, your writings. But, you know, commandment number one is not really written as a commandment. Not only the stories in Genesis. I am the Lord your God who took you out of Egypt. <laughs> Present that to uh, you know hundreds of thousands of readers. Ask them, is that a commandment? Yeah. It's a statement. It's a declarative. I am the Lord. So where's the commandment? If that's commandment number one, it should say, I don't know, believe that I am the Lord your God or accept it. It doesn't say that. So even, even in the very Ten Commandments, which we're trying to study, it seems that one of the ways of, of, of studying it is, okay, here's the fact and do something with that. You know? um, uh, the second thing I'd like to, to mention is a teaching which is very close to my heart. Uh, the teaching is uh, from Rabbi Cook, of, of blessed memory, Rabbi Rami Tzachak Cohen Cook, who, who speaks about different sources in rabbinic literature. Uh, they praise various people. The most well-known, of course, is Abraham and Sarah, but the term is used about others as well, where their doors were open on all four sides. Uh, this is a, a, a major teaching in hospitality. The simple reading of that text is, simple, but the direct reading of that text is, 
that be sensitive to people that are coming to your home and give them direct access. Let them come in. If they're traveling from the north, coming from the north. If they're coming from the south, they're coming from the south. They have to walk all around and, and, and you know, and signs and use use uh, the, this door and that door and this entrance. Especially people that are hungry, tired, weary uh, travelers and uh, in, in the desert. The tent was open on all four sides. But Cook said, it doesn't just mean that it was technically, literally open on all four sides. He said that relatively speaking, it's easy to open up a tent on the side of, of togetherness with the people who agree with you. If I'm coming from, I don't know if we'll use terms, but I'm coming from the West or Western, the West, whatever the West represents, not, not geographically, right? I'm coming from the West and you're coming from the West. And he's coming from the West, and she's going, okay, so come in. We, we, we all share Western, I don't know, Western culture. We other, but you're coming from the North? What are you doing in my house? Get out of here. We, you know, we, we don't have room for you here. Go go, go find a, a, a tent that uh, caters to Northern people. You're coming from the South? No, 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 sorry, not here. And Rav Cook says that even though many of the people arriving in the house of Abraham and Sarah were not coming from the same place that they were, they surely had different... You know, worldviews and uh, their Weltanschauung was 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 nowhere near theirs. It was room for them. Maybe that's the way you're supposed to run it. You know, open the all four sides to everyone. They certainly the, the guests themselves were were not like Abraham and Sarah. They were explicitly the text says were different. And, and within that group also, there are whatever those terms mean. They have to be defined. I'm not just talking about belief in God. Whatever they were, there are different types of people and very many different types of people. And if if, if again, if we conceptually. If, Philosophically, right? They're 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 very they're this to this person. This is a value that's very important to that person. That's a value that's very important to this. This is a given, and to the other one, that's a given. And this is an absolute, you know, a requirement. And the other one says, no, that's absolutely prohibit. And and the ultimate Abraham and Sarah tent model is a model where, you know, to the best of one's ability, it's not simple. It's not a simple thing to do. It's much easier to have one door. Again, I'm not talking about the amount of. I'm talking about it's, it's much easier. You know, you come in, you know, and we, we all share the same, the, the same value system. First of all, thank you for for sharing that. There's there's definitely when it comes to Hachnasat Orchim, moving towards the the value of Chesed, of openness, of expanding, of bringing people in, of making yourself larger, of having some sort of mesiras nefesh towards not just your needs but other people's needs. The average person. Um, is constantly struggling between trying to be very open, saying yes, expanding themselves and doing more for the world with this need to sometimes have some gavura and to say it's too much or I'm overwhelmed or I, I can't handle the amount of responsibility that has to take care of people or to, to always have openness. First of all, in, in the experience of, of, uh, of your work, perhaps your wife's work, how is there a balance between being totally open um, with perhaps needing some space, needing some some gavul, some sort of border that there is an open tent, but there's also a home that is sometimes closed off. That is, um, or maybe that wasn't a, that's not a challenge, or maybe that's it's a challenge in any form of openness. One of my great teachers always used to say, "It's very important to be open-minded, but don't be so open-minded that your brains are falling out." You know, I mean, it's like, uh, yes, there there is a certain openness. Uh, we definitely struggled with this. I'm not saying that we've, I don't, I don't view our family as the model for this, but if you want to talk in a, in a you know, in an objective way, 
I do feel that um, um, Henny used to teach often that, that three of the most precious words in the world to cross-culturally are, I love you. So she used to teach about how before you could say love you, you have to be able to say I. And if you don't have a sense of I, then love you is not so meaningful. We, we tried in our own way. We, we've tried different models and designing this in our particular family. I definitely, I definitely uh, respect those that feel it's very important for them to solidify their families or their relationships or the connection between spouses, between children, parents, between parents and children, between grandparents and grandchildren. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm not saying that you know, just open your home and let anybody walk in. It's not, it's not necessarily. However, especially since there is such a need, since there are so many thirsty souls, uh, there are some hungry people, very hungry people. Some people are very hungry for food, very hungry for food. And some people are very hungry for spiritual food. They have plenty of food. They're very hungry. And so when there's a special need, maybe one has to go the extra mile. We're not living, living in a society, in a world, uh, I hope I'm wrong, and I hope it changed. It will change this coming Shabbat. But as of last Shabbat, for instance, let's talk about the Jewish world. I think last Shabbat, it breaks my heart to say this. I, I hope I'm wrong, but I think last Shabbat there were millions of Jews who did not actively observe Shabbat or actively connect to Shabbat. Could it be that millions and millions of Jews in the world have never even experienced one Shabbat? So when you think like millions of Jews have never experienced one Shabbat, you're like that's okay. Maybe if you're living in a world everybody has Shabbat, everybody might have this kind of Shabbat, that kind of Shabbat. Millions of Jews have never experienced Shabbat. Uh, so we, we tried in different ways. Uh, one of the ways we tried is, um, first of all, I think in, in, in books on parenting, they speak about the importance of quality time, that you don't necessarily measure peak experiences on, on, on watches and clocks. You know, Rav Shlomo Kalabach, blessed memory, used to say, how long do you think the, the high priest was in the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur? You know? Like the peak moment of the Holy Year. How long was he there? You know? You, know, you know, it wasn't a very long time. He walked in, did his thing, and walked out. You know, not, so I'm not sure that the way you necessarily divine with family means many, many consecutive hours. It depends what you're doing with them and how meaningful it is. One of the things that we tried to do was, um, was have early meals. Uh, post on the door the time of the meals. Lock the door. Until that time, uh, the signs were like in Hebrew and English, whatever. We'd announce it also. And uh, nobody was, nobody, eh, more or less nobody. I mean, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, but, but more or less, but, more or less nobody was allowed in except for the family. Now, yeah, I mean, we've had, uh, Baruch Hashem, uh, challenges in that area. I uh, recently shared, uh, one man was banging on the door, screaming at the top of his lung. Uh, he has to come in. You know, one of my children said, "This is family, you know, meal." And of course, his response was, "He's he's family. I mean, you know, like, he's no less family than you are." You know, like that. I wait, 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 who are you? Wait, you were his son. You know? And the, my my son did not want to open the door. And he used to, he was very. Uh, I mean, he's a challenged individual. Hashem should should bless him. Uh, he's also involved in. He's very strict about the rules of uh, Purim. That's his holiday. He celebrates it a whole year. Oh, no. I mean, he's in his state of, you know, like he said, you know, everybody has their mitzvah. I said it before. 
his mitzvah is Purim, you know, 12 months a year. Purim. Um, so he, and he's religiously observant somewhat. He turned off the electricity. It was Friday night. It was very dark outside already. He turned off the, the main switch of electricity outside. You know, you're not going to open up the door. I'm gonna, you know. so, okay, but more or less, this is the model. The model is that to have an early meal. And, uh, you know, and then nobody here. And, and, and hopefully uh, with some level of love and, and closeness to Ban and to invite the children who want to stay, who want to participate in the extended uh, public meal. That's one of the ways we dealt with it. We also, uh, Baruch Hashem, for many, many years, we, we go away for Pesach. More or less, those are the only, that's, that's the only week of the year that we close. Even Belina, I don't want to say this, you know, as a as an acceptance of any sort, but uh, that's what we've tried to do. Even when there are family celebrations, so I try to find someone, you know, much better than me to to take over. And the the, the home is open, but Pesach we're closed and we're we're alone, more or less alone, except when I tell my children, please don't tell anyone where we're going. And and some of the family, extended family members, what are you doing here? Like, you know, so it's like my children, my children are sworn to secrecy. Nobody's allowed to know where we're going for Pesach. But so we're away for Pesach. And, you know, is that is that ideal? I don't know. Each each one has to deal with it in the way that, and I don't think uh, numbers is necessarily uh, the determining factor. If, as I said before, one person is an entire world. If someone invites one person, so they're inviting the whole world. So no matter what, even with with a home as as wide open, it's not that someone has to com- take away the I, as, as you mentioned with with Rebbitz and Henny's teaching about I love you, that there's still everybody might have a different border, it might be somebody might lean towards a certain um, guardedness, somebody might lean towards a certain more openness, but no matter what, people even as open as as can be will still have some sort of border. I know Hillel's teaching. Uh, roughly translated, if I'm not going to take care of myself, so who's going to take care of me? But if I'm only taking care of myself, so what am I really? And how do you balance that? Those two values. You have to take care of yourself. Yourself meaning you and whatever your your family. But at the same time, if that's your only focus, so you're missing it. And to strike that Delicate balance, I think, is one of the most important religious challenges. Echoing from Lubavitcher Rebbe, that's all that he talked when people came to him and talked about their accomplishments, and they would he would they would say something. We built this place. We did this thing. We started this organization. He would always give some encouragement, but then say, "But do this a little bit more." And so, the the, the balance between yes and no is always something we're striving for. But it sounded like the way that you said it and the way that the, the Rebbe said or used to say was. That there is a little bit you can do more than what you think you're capable of. Um, maybe maybe there, what our limitations are, are less less defined than we, than we think. Value that's mentioned in the rabbinic literature of Mosif v'holech, ma'alin b'kodesh, as 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 Lubavitcher Rebbe, a blessed memory taught as you're as you're quoting. Is that right? There are no steps leading up to the altar of God. There's only a ramp. And if you picture somebody going up a uh, a slippery slope, you know, if you're not going up, then uh, and God forbid you're going down. If there's a step, you know, maybe just stay on the step. Let's let's relax for the next the 50 years or so. You know, and I say you're moving, you're moving up and you're moving down. And I think that uh, uh, 
I remember one of the one of the few classes that I attended from Rabbi Weinberg, Rabbi Noach Weinberg, blessed memory, in, in his 48 ways was when he spoke for, I don't know, it must have been an hour, about one of the 48 ways being mosif, shomea o mosif, something like that. You know, you hear what you hear and but add, like, not just not just uh, not just listen or absorb what what is being said, but take take it and, and do something with it. Add, increase. And I think that's true about listening to teachings. I think it's true about uh, positive deeds in the world also. In concluding this interview, uh, could you tell us a story, perhaps, about somebody that came to your home, uh, and by no merit of you, you just set up the space. There, there, something came out of that that really impacted their life uh, in the in the short term and the long term. All the questions this is the hardest one. I'll tell you why it's the hardest one. Because I'm not saying you get the credit. No, you don't. No, 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 no. I'm not saying. Forget about the credit. I just, no, I, it's just so many stories. Yeah, yeah. Like, like which whatever story is this the best story? You know, Henny left the world on a Friday afternoon. It was a whole story, and she was buried very close to. Her. And 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 I knew I had to say something. I I tried my best. Whatever God gave me a koach to say, but at the eulogy, I said, I have to tell some story. And I'm sure that my children can come over to me afterwards and say, Why'd you tell that story? Why, why, why not this story? That story. That's... So I don't know which, which one you want to hear, but you know, like, there's a very wide, uh, very wide variety of stories. Um, I don't know. I'll tell you the one I said at the funeral, and I'll tell you another. As you notice, there's a, there's a door over there between the front of the house and the back of the house. The back of the house are bedrooms. And for us, more or less, that's a a red line. You know, I mean, you do whatever you want. You want to come here. You want to sleep here. You want to, you want to talk. You want to eat. This part, but that's, that's the Rishut uh, The There was a man that uh, I met many times at the Kota. He was always sitting there with many bags. He had a chair for himself and chair with bags. And I invited him many, many times, and he didn't want to come over. Please come over. No, he's busy. Finally, uh, with the grace of God, he came to our house. And uh, and he was very kind to him. He slept here from time to time, and and uh, there were he was. Uh, we offered him different for different types of foods. Uh, the food that he enjoyed most was Henny's homemade whole wheat pizza. Henny studied nutrition, and uh, she she had her own recipe for homemade whole. Wheat. He loved her homemade. She served many many different kinds of foods to him, but homemade whole wheat pizza was. And he would come, but he would come at unusual hours because he was very busy. And uh, so he wouldn't come like the way most people come for supper. You know, he'd come I'm very late, okay. And, and he would make him homemade whole wheat pizza and this and that. Right? At a certain point, uh, and he said to him, instead of me making you homemade whole wheat pizza, I'll teach you how to make homemade whole wheat pizza. Come in whenever you want. The front door is unlocked. And make home make as much peace as you want, you know. And she sat there and she gave instructions to this uh, to this uh, man as an Israeli in homemade holy peace. And he came many times after that. Uh, okay, then it was about the, the exact time I don't know, roughly three thirty in the morning. And as I said, that door is a it's someone's banging at the at the bedroom door, not not at, not the front door, not at the just banging. It's no, he's banging the bedroom door. I, I, I got a little scared. Well, who is it? And he, he identified himself. How can we help you? He forgot how to make homemade whole wheat pizza. <laughs> he, he forgot. I said, Eddie, this guy's crazy. You know, like, get, get. So, and she said to me, she said, well, it's only a test. It's a test. It's a test, you know? And she got dressed and she came out. And she, uh, 
she taught him how to make homemade home pizza. Uh, the second story is about this man from California. I would say he's probably the, it's hard to give such grades, but I think he was the most obnoxious guest that we ever had, I think. And this is what happened. Um, actually, next to Henny. And he was making fun of me. Thank God the room was filled with people. Wall-to-wall people. And everything I said, he made fun of. He must have been in his 20s. I, I, I don't know, you know, what his background was. I don't think it was, he was Jewish. But I don't think he was too connected to Judaism. And, and every, every, every I said he mocked, and every ceremony I tried to pick up, oh, look what he's going to do. Like this ancient, stupid, archaic practice of blessings, benedictions. Oh, you know, like, well, what are you doing? What are you listening to this idiot for? Like, you know, those kind of statements. And, uh, you know, there were people who were saying, throw him out. There were enough people who could have escorted him out. You know, it's, easy to take, it's easy to take people and ask them to leave. It's uh, much harder to keep people inside. At a certain point, it was so painful to me that I said to Henny, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm going to the bedroom. You run the rest of the meal. She said, Mordechai, just talk to his soul. Don't talk to him. Talk to his neshama. He has a soul. He has a death. She said, ignore what he's saying. You know, okay. And uh, he left that night. I felt such relief. I really felt such relief. This was really very, very difficult. Very difficult. Very stressful. Uh, uh, situation uh, for me and for many of the other people here I tried my best Sunday morning now Sunday morning there's no audience here Sunday morning 8 30 in the morning there's a knock at the door this was Friday night he was there Sunday morning knocks at the door I couldn't be like what if you know <laughs> like what if he wasn't coming to torment me again enough. like he didn't say enough to you. yeah right he's coming back can I please come in I came to apologize I came to apologize apologize can I please come in you know, I thought about how I, I, I behaved on Friday night. I'm really sorry. And I'm really sorry. And uh, <laughs> after I got over my shock, you know, it was like really shocking. It was in this room. Really, really shocking. Like, you know, everything okay? Like, you know, you know, I've met about people who, I've read about people who have different, you said you work in uh, yeah. mental health. But, you know, there are people who have different. He said, you know, I thought about what I said. and I, I'm, I'm so sorry. And I came here to please forgive, ask you to please forgive me. And as a as a sign that I'm very serious about my my repentance, he said I'm willing to put on to fill in. I haven't put on to fill in in I don't know more than ten years or something. I did it once at my bar mitzvah. I want to put on to fill in to show you that I'm sincere. You know, I didn't have to in at home. I, I was in the Beit Knesset. was in the shul. I ran to a neighbor. I need to fill in. You know, I think we even took a picture. He put on to fill in. And uh, I asked him, like, what, what motivated you? <laughs> what happened? Like, what he said, I'll tell you what happened. And I was walking out of the house. One of your little children said to me, he had many um, nose rings and uh, lip rings and body rings. And, and, his, uh, and one of them, uh, he, said to, he, said, he said to one of my sons, was quite little at the time, what's that stupid beanie you're wearing on your head? What is that stupid? What are you, what are you wearing? That? What is? So my son said to him, Young son, he said, well, it represents a force higher than us, and therefore wearing a head covering. He said, let me ask you something. What are all those stupid rings in your in your tongue and in your... Uh, he, said, he, walked out. he said, I walked out thinking that... Anyway, he said, I, I came home, I wrote in my diary, you know, some stupid, you know, six-year-old... Why is it? He, he, he had a good explanation. I didn't. And that changed my whole thing. 
He later, he wrote me later, I don't know if I ever saw him again, but he wrote me from UCLA, a, a, a clip from the, from the newspaper of UCLA that he was trying to organize a minyan <laughs> in UCLA. Yeah. So I, I guess, you know, as it says in Pirkei Avot, every person is great. Uh, don't, don't discard anyone, don't give up on anyone. The most obnoxious person, who knows, maybe he's the chief rabbi of the world today. And that's also perhaps another lesson from the Haknasat Orchim. But but it's all related. Th- thank you for sharing those those stories with us. And I want to conclude this interview just with anything that you want to say um, to Klal Yisrael in the fact that we've had this interview on Achiyah Shemalokecha as God bringing human beings, the Jewish people in history out of Mitzrayim and also um, on a broader level, everybody doing their part to to bring other people out of Mitzrayim. Is there anything more that you want to say about that? My humble blessings to the person interviewing me, uh, to the Rabbi Schwartz, to all the people connected to this great uh, movement. I do hope that it has an impact on the entire Jewish people and the entire society at large, and that uh, each person can discover their particular letter in Torah, their particular way in Torah, and expand, if the Ten Commandments is the most all-encompassing of the text of Torah, to find their particular expression that no one has ever said before in a positive way in the very Ten Commandments. And through that, we're a few days before the holiday of the Ten Commandments. We're sitting uh, just a little bit more than a week before Shavuot, that I hope that way before this Shavuot, the entire world will once again experience a certain level of deep connection to the Ten Commandments. Amen. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. I want to invite anyone who's listening to come visit us. Is that, is that, is that, is that acceptable? Please. Okay, you are hereby cordially invited. Now, it could be it's a very disappointing experience. You know, you'll say, like, I listen to this whole interview and he's making it sound like who knows what goes on here. So let's say, let's say you come and you're the only one here. So, okay, then whatever it is, you know. I, I think the food is decent at least. And maybe. So we live in a place called Yerushalayim. We live in a, uh, the address is Ma'alot Dafna, M-A-A-L-O-T-D-A-F-N-A, building 137, apartment 26. And each of you is most cordially invited to come with as many of your uh, relatives and friends for the Shabbat meals. Uh, we have three meals on Shabbat, in the evening, in the afternoon, and the third meal. More at JerusalemChesed.org. Uh, that is an open invitation. Uh, I don't know how many people in the world would just say their address and openly come to my house. So this is, a, I think, a microcosm of the entirety of the project and the interview is yes that was a real address and it is a real place and you are most welcome for a meal please come to jerusalem and experience it for yourself and that's all for today thanks for taking the time to listen and we hope this episode has in some small way enriched your understanding of yourself others and god as you learn to integrate the big 10 into your life please don't forget to subscribe wherever you are listening